Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. everyone. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup, and I am your host today, Pam Marvin. I am so happy to be joining you on this beautiful Wednesday, December the 16th, high atop the St. Mary's Catholic Student Center. Even though um, it's cloudy outside, but it's nice and chilly and cold, and it's just a perfect winterish Advent day. And joining me this morning in the studio right now is Thaddeus. Good morning, Thaddeus. Good morning, Pam. Great to have you in the uh, friendly confines of the Red Sea Catholic Radio Mm. Studios here at St. Mary's Catholic Center and College Stations. But we're not only broadcasting the Brazos Valley. No, we're reaching out and talking to our friends in the central Texas listening area covered by KYAR 98.3 FM, headed up by our great station director there in West Texas, Robin Waters. And also our friends over in the Holy Land of Texas in Palestine at 107.9 FM KINF there based at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Palestine. So welcome. Good morning to all of y'all. Excellent. Nice reminder. I love it how we just kind of blanket kind of central and east Texas with our airwaves. And so thankful for that. We've got the spine of Texas, I like to say. Oh, but, you know, we are, can be listened to anywhere since you can find Red Sea Radio Indeed. Uh, on your computer, which I often listen to because the quality is so much better most and of the time. And even more so, more modern, we have our own radio app, as many of you know. Oh, yes. You can get that on your Apple app store for your mobile device of the iOS variety. And you can also find it in the Google Play store if mm-hmm. you are an Android sort of a person. That's Not an me. actual Android, but an Android operating system. What I love is on my Android, it will actually Are Androids me. persons? I don't know if Androids mm. are even persons. I don't think so. <laughs> no. But I know that um, if I favorite a, a radio show, it actually reminds me that my show is coming on so I can listen to it, which I really wow. enjoy. Do you have a reminder for Red Sea Roundup? I mean, gosh, that's kind of vain, isn't it? Not for... No, it's for Drew Mariani. Oh, okay. Okay. okay I didn't understand yeah. what you were... And Patrick Madrid. Yep. I often miss Patrick because I'm so busy in the mornings, but I just find him to have such solid quality um, conversations during this really tumultuous time in the church and in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I find him just to be a really solid voice of reason. And if he's unsure about something, he's really very clear about that as well, which I appreciate. Yes, indeed. A very, very popular show host. And unfortunately, um, you know, for those of you who love Patrick Madrid and Drew Mariani, who are uh, relevant radio show hosts, you're going to be having to take a couple days off from them because um, December 24th and December 25th, uh, we're going to be giving you our yearly special Christmas Eve and Christmas Day programming from EWTN. And there's going to be a mixture of great programming, um, some some music programming, some uh, spiritual uh, type reflective programming. Uh, there's going to be a, a show on there that's a nod to uh, 
It's a Wonderful Life, oh, um, nice. Charles D- uh, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol radio play, in addition to the live broadcasts of Mass from the Vatican on the Vigil of Christmas. There's going to be the Mass uh, and Vesper- Vespers from the Basilica of the Immaculate the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. I always mess that up. Okay. I'm so sorry. Keeping you humble. Um, so go to our website, redsearadio.org, and you can get all of the um, hour-by-hour changes to the programming, and you can listen to it over the air. You can listen to it online, as Pam mentioned, or you can listen to it on the uh, the app. If you haven't done so, get it. If you've already got it, do it. Well, speaking of Christmas, I want to just tell everybody what's coming up on the next segment you know, Christmas time, we're usually with a lot of friends and relatives, and things can get kind of, you know, contentious in some ways. And so I've invited Alyssa Trutter to come on with me today to talk about crucial conversations. It's a really great book if you haven't You're read it. You're talking about the question of, you know, Christmas goose or Christmas ham, right? Uh-uh. I mean, you can get really contentious. <laughs> yeah, contentious, that's right. Or how about a roast beef? Oh, well, yeah. That's one of the things we usually, we've done in the past. Not very often. It's got to be a really good year for those. <laughs> right. And where? why else do people know Alyssa Trudeau's name? I mean, let's, yeah, let's get Everyday back to Everyday Catholics. Yeah. yeah. She's a radio host for Everyday Catholics. And you know what else that is maybe little known? She is a lay woman for the Apostles Interior Life. I did know that, but many of our listeners probably don't. So yeah. they're going to catch up with Alyssa. Sure, and, we will. Um, you well, know, Everyday Catholics has um, Sunset, let's say. Yes, uh, it's the on twilight. hiatus. It's on hiatus mm-hmm. because uh, Father Ryan and Alyssa are both, uh, they've, they've got a lot of other important duties and uh, callings. And so they're going to set that show aside for a little while. And uh, and that's okay. We've, we've, uh, we've got a spot here for them when they, when they want to come back. That's exactly right. So let's go ahead and start to talk about uh, one of my favorite things, too, is the saints of the day or the month or the, week, the ones or, that, you know. Well, you know, I really, I don't know about you, Thaddeus, but I don't know where I would be in my faith life if it weren't for um, the teachings of the saints. And St. John of the Cross, to me, is really mm. in my top five. Um, my Teresas, I always say, are up there. So San Teresa, Juan de Cruz. Oh, and St. Teresa of Avila, who were, they were contemporaries. Yes, she they were. is one Friends, close I to believe. my heart. Oh, yeah, very much. Um, counselors to one another, as well as Therese of Lisieux, who took her name after Teresa of Avila. Yes, can I jump in? If anyone knows the third member of this trifecta of Spanish saints from the 16th century, call in. Call in and tell us, and we've got a free book for you. We've got a free book for you. Call in at 855-683-7332. And that's first segment only, guys. First segment only. you got to call in. Give us the third member of this Spanish trifecta of saints. Mm, I'm not sure I even know. From the 16th century. Spanish ones. Hmm, mm-hmm. I'll have to think mm-hmm. about that. But St. John of the Cross, back to him. So I think the time I started to fall more in love with the saint was um, after I went on a retreat where the um, retreat master was quoting a book um, by Wayne Simsek called Seeking the Beloved. And it was the teachings on him and his prayer. I'm not familiar with uh, Mr. Simsek. Keep going. No, if you haven't, if you're interested at all in St. John of the Cross and his prayer and, and just the way he thought, I really identify with his, 
his thinking and trying to put, you know, that dark night of the soul into yeah, perspective yeah. is, is really good too. Um, it, it's very good. It, um, Mr. Simsick does it in a way that kind of boils it down for um, everyday people like me who really like deep thought, but sometimes can't process it as well as I would like. So he does that for us. And that's mm-hmm, really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seeking the beloved. Seeking the beloved. Very good. Very good. Um, I think one of my favorite little pieces of trivia about St. John of the Cross is uh, that he's actually the national poet of Spain. Did not know that. Mm-hmm. So he is still uh, very much you know, revered in Spain, even though it's gone through a lot of tumult and it it's has its own um, crises of secularization during the 19th century, during the 20th century. Uh, he's still revered as a great um, contributor to their span to their national you know literature, uh, and so that's that's kind of wonderful that that, that that's still recognized uh, the intersection of uh, of faith and and reason and and beauty and how faith informs and and, and makes beauty possible. Right. And, Love that. And so he's really, again, known for writing about the dark night of the soul where you're you're not really feeling Christ near us, but you know Christ is near, even though you yeah. don't feel it. So those consolations have been removed. And so here's one of his quotes that to help us to remind us when we are going Perfect. through these times of aridity where we feel that God is very far from us. And many of you may be going through that right now during this Christmas season where you feel like God is very far away, but indeed he's always very near to us. And so St. John wants to remind us all that to never give up prayer. And should you find dryness and difficulty, persevere in it for this reason. God often desires to see what love your soul has. Love is not tried by ease and satisfaction. So I think that's really true. So when you can kind of start to shift from that overwhelming, comfortable, consolation type of love for God and wanting his nearness to knowing it so deeply that it's an act of your will to persevere in prayer, even though you do not feel his nearness. And I think that's a lot about what uh, St. John the Cross really reminds us. And and St. Mother Teresa as well. She had that period of darkness yeah, as well. Yeah, we know that quite well, that she she suffered from many, many, many years of spiritual aridity and the, the absence of God. But I think that's great that you gave that exp- explanation about what St. John of the Cross is getting at when he wrote his, his most famous work, The Dark Night of the Soul, because I think you hear that tossed around a lot in casual conversation and sort of the just the conventional wisdom that it's about a a crisis of faith and then somebody losing their faith. I think that's how a lot of times mm-hmm. it's it's used in maybe non-Catholic circles. And that's really not what he's getting at at all. He's saying yeah, your faith, your faith is intact, but maybe you don't necessarily feel God's presence. And so you, you're, you have to persevere through this dark night of right. the soul uh, and maintain that, that relationship with God and that faith in God. And so, right. I do believe it's a type of test in our faith. And it's also very, we also need to make a distinction between uh, like clinical depression and dark nights of the soul, which are also very different. Um, They have so many similarities. I think it gets used in that. I think it's thrown around in that way too. And that's not, that's not Not what's going on. No, no, this is actually 
I believe, and I think he he writes about it, that it it's a tool that the the Lord uses to draw us closer to Himself, and it just makes that. Um, reuniting so to speak much more the sweeter mm-hmm. can i say it that way you can and if you have a if you have about 20 seconds i'm going to give you a little rundown of who uh, just a quick bio on saint john of the cross from uh none other than dr michael foley oh, out love of him. his uh, drinking of the saints mm-hmm. it's a great book of saints in addition to uh, other things one day epes y alvarez 1542 to 1591 was from a family of conversos, Jews who had converted to Catholicism under pressure from the Spanish crown. So uh, that's that's pretty notable. He entered the Carmelites and along with St. Teresa of Avila became a great reformer of that order and a founder of the Discalced Carmelites, as you mentioned. St. John of the Cross suffered terribly for his reforming efforts, as reformers usually do. He was brutally imprisoned, tortured for months, by fellow Carmelites. Talk about a dark night of the soul. Yeah, right. But he survived and endured to become a great spiritual master, poet, mystic, and doctor of the church. His most So basically, doctor of the church is the church saying, this guy's teachings, you can take those to the bank. That's right. And take those to the bank. And I have. Yeah. <laughs> His most famous work and one of the greatest works of Spanish literature is... The Dark Night of the Soul, a masterpiece about the difficulties in making spiritual progress towards God. So there you go. St. John of the Cross, pray for us. Pray for us. You know, another one of his sayings that I truly um, love, and you've heard this before, but maybe didn't know he said it, was silence is God's first language. How much do we need that in our life? Mm. Silence is God's first language. My brothers and sisters, if you do not take time for silence in your life, shutting down the screens, and I'm talking to myself too here, shutting down the screens, television, phones, all that kind, just really literally unplugging from the noise of the world, because I do, everyone knows that is a tool of Satan to be comfortable in silence. And if you're uncomfortable, that's okay. Bring God into that discomfort until you are. Yeah. And that reminds me of uh, Cardinal Seurat's great book that was published about four years ago. Mm -hmm. Silence isn't the title. The exact title is escaping me right now, but that's a a wonderful meditation on the need for silence in this contemporary context. So Pam, take us on out of here and remind people what's coming up on the other side. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to, to talking with my sister in Christ, Alyssa Treader on Crucial Conversations. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Welcome back, my friends. I'm excited to have a dear friend of mine who lives in the Waco area now that I don't get to see as often, but she's always in my prayers and forever on my heart and her beautiful ministry. Welcome to the show, Alyssa Trutter. Hi. I'm like, 
That was just such a beautiful blessing of a welcome. Aww. Thank you. It's good to talk to you. It's so good to hear your voice. Uh, so I just want to tell our, our listeners that uh, I love this woman so much. She's taught me so much about my personal faith and growth. And so I, whenever I get a chance to bring her on my show, I really want to because she's just wise beyond her years and definitely in the right place where you are. So just listen, tell everybody what you're up to right now, like what you're currently working on and where you are and just get everybody up to speed a little bit. Yeah, so many things. So like Pam said, my name is Alyssa Treader. I work with Ablaze Ministries, and I'm one of the people that helped found that ministry back in 2011. We're coming up on 10 years, which is crazy. Um, and so I currently am serving up in Waco. Um, I'm going to be heading back down to the Bryan area soon, though, hopefully um, this summer to focus more on the ministry going on down there. But I'll still be up in Waco from time to time, too. So I currently run the youth ministry um, at St. Louis in Waco and then help run the campus ministry at Bishop Louis Riker. And yeah, we have so many so many projects going on with with Ablaze. Um, we just had uh, Chris Bartlett join our team, and we have Project YM on our team now. Right, they are growing. Serve, yeah, they serve youth ministers all over the country, and they've just they're fun people like Chris and um, Crystal and Michael Marchand who do um, Project YM, and have just brought. We're joyful people at Ablaze anyway, and they have just brought even more fun to the table. And so that has just been a great blessing. So yeah, lots of projects, lots of good things. Even in the midst of the trials of this year, we've seen good fruit and it's been a lot of adapting things, but again, the Holy Spirit's present and doing good things. Yes. So, that is one, thankful for. that is one characteristic I can say that is, um, very much a part of the Ablaze Ministries is that the Holy Spirit is alive and well right mm-hmm. there. And so mm-hmm. it's been a blessing in my life and my children's life especially. And I'm always so, so happy to be a small part of it in uh, mm-hmm. supporting um, the missionary. So, yay. Yes. But today, so though, and we'll see. And I believe that Crucial Conversations is a big part of uh, what y'all have embraced there at Ablaze yeah. Ministries. But the first time I ever heard about the Crucial Conversations was when you did a talk at the Red Sea Radio Family Retreat. It was the first one, mm-hmm. I believe. And I yeah. simultaneously was giving a talk, so I wasn't able to <laughs> attend your talk. And ever since then, I've been wanting to, to explore it more and to dive deeper into it. So if you wouldn't mind kind of giving us just a little background about Crucial, Crucial Conversation, the book, and why it's important like in ministry and just overall relationships. Yeah. So like you were just saying, Pam, we it is something that we really hold as a staple of what it means to be on a team at, at a blaze. We train all of our missionaries and all of our staff members on this topic of crucial conversations because there will be moments where there are disagreements or where there are con- like moments of conflict and people have differing opinions and their strong opinions and we need to know how to navigate those times in a way that is healthy and not 
hurtful and is that that's actually constructive and not destructive. And so crucial conversations, there's actually a whole line of, of books um, on crucial conversation. There's one called crucial accountability. um, And it's a team of authors and researchers who have presented this way of thinking about having hard, difficult conversations and how to do that well. And so they define a crucial conversation as a time where there are opposing opinions, so we definitely are not seeing eye to eye, where there are strong emotions, so people are upset, um, whether or not that's being voiced out loud or it's kind of festering inside, but people are upset, and that the stakes are high, where Mm. we're looking at a situation where it's like this project might not work out anymore because we can't find alignment, or this relationship is in a state where not necessarily that it will end, but that things will shut down so that there are big consequences at stake if this reconciliation and this seeing eye to eye and this coming together and understanding doesn't happen. So they've said anytime that opposing opinions, strong emotions, and there are high stakes, that's a time where a crucial conversation is needed. So Right. So you know, if you've never had to come into a crucial conversation, let's please raise your hand. Yeah, no hands go up. No hands go up. And, you know, I think I find that this was something that was done in a better way, you know, a couple of decades ago than we're doing it now. Um, Somewhere along the way, we've lost this skill. And that's, again, the reason for, I guess, probably the the series of books on it, too. Um, But I really want to kind of, just for the everyday person... I put it in the context of the holidays since this is during Advent season, Alyssa. So, you know, um, okay. So like in my situation, actually, I won't get to really see some extended family as much this year, Mm -hmm. but we have like very strong differing political opinions, political opinions. Well, in the past, we just totally avoid those conversations because there's Mm -hmm. no really need to bring it up. Would you say that that's a wise choice? Well, I mean, it depends on, there's just so many variables, right? If it's a situation where you know that really we're not going to see eye to eye on this issue and every time we talk about this, that it just ends poorly, I think maybe that's a situation where it might be more prudent because there are steps to this whole process of, do I have this conversation? How am I in the right frame of mind to have this conversation? And so that might be one where definitely those elements are there, opposing opinions, strong emotions, high stakes. But I think there are also sometimes in these conversations where if this is somebody that I don't see that often and somebody that I kind of know what their stance on this issue or on this person is, and I don't perceive that there's any change or that there's anything constructive that's going to happen by bringing this up that you might discern in that situation, actually, you know what, it is better to not talk about this. Mm -hmm. We, you know, our family members that we live with, for example, or I, for me, it's like people that we run into all the time. Avoidance, I think in those situations is, is not healthy because it's just going to accumulate. And so yeah, so I think that situation, again, you've got to discern it out. But if it's a, I can think of my family members too, right? Where it's like, we have these topics that we don't really touch because whenever we do, this happens. And there are ways to be prepared for that and to navigate even those hard conversations when they do come up well. But in getting perspective and discerning, 
in those cases, it might actually be better to just say, you know what, we're going to find topics that we do have understanding on so that we can be charitable towards right, one another right. throughout this holiday season. So. Okay, okay, I'm going to reel it back into just like, um, let's say, like in my family, a family of, mm-hmm. you know, the parents and five children. So family mm-hmm. of seven. Now we have in-laws as well. Um, yeah. And I think it's really interesting to say, or, or I guess in... Um, Chapter five, it says, make it safe. How to make it safe to talk Mm -hmm. about almost anything. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to make it safe? Because I'm very intrigued by that. I mean, I've read some of the book, but this one just doesn't stick in my brain, how to make it safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first part of that really is there's a lot of internal work that we need to do before we even go into this conversation. So again, like I was saying, discernment around, is it prudent to bring up this issue that might just be a trigger point that may not actually lead to any kind of resolution. Um, But there are cases where, okay, this has been something that every time this is mentioned, I'm thinking of like roommates or coworkers or something, that it's like every time this person's around, they make these comments and it really hurts my feelings, but I never say anything because I feel like I should just get over it. But this has been going on for years and it's just... I feel like I'm going to snap. Um, and so in those cases, there, like I said, there's work that needs to be done beforehand to figure out the perspective on the situation, to think, okay, what am, what am I telling myself about these interactions? What might this person be operating from or what's going on in their perspective, in their world? And so when we do those things, it makes it much safer to come into a conversation, even about something that could be a heated topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's if we have thought through things beforehand and prayed as, as you know, Christians, we're able to turn to the Lord and to ask for his wisdom and ask for his counsel and his courage to get perspective on this situation to where we can go into a, a topic that might be hard, but where we're in a place where we have good footing and a good mindset. Another thing that they talk about in the book is um, trying to take away or to to stabilize or maybe neutralize is a good word, the, the high emotions. If we're really, really charged about a topic and in the middle of a discussion or if it's just very raw and still very sensitive to us, that's probably not a good time to have a conversation about this. If it's something we're still working through um, ourselves and we don't have our own bearings just as an individual, probably not the best time to then go into a heated debate with somebody because like it talks about if that becomes a situation that's not emotionally safe, it's just going to end up being wounding. It's not going to be constructive. And so there are ways where we can get good enough perspective on things and be in a place where we are healthy emotionally and have more of a a neutral perspective and um, are able to put things in an ordered place and realize, you know what, if this person disagrees with me on politics, you know, that's okay. It doesn't have to define our entire relationship. I can still think they're wrong and they can think that I'm wrong, but I can still love them. Right. And that's much more neutral than a lot of like, well, it's because they 
don't know the information and if I could just make them see and, you know, I can't believe that they would think this, you know, the, those are much more charged. And if that's where we're hanging out, it's probably not not the best time to engage in a dialogue. Um, right. So one of the things that's come to my mind is I, t- I think about myself. Sometimes um, I, I know I need to cool down, mm-hmm. but I like to have a little bit still of that that angst so I'll actually say something because if I get real cooled down I can just explain and excuse away the behavior oh you know they're having a bad day and Uh I need to show more mercy but there's 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 a balance in there can you talk about that a little bit yeah and that's such a good point because so one of the things that I love from from this book and from this teaching, they they have a phrase where they say, if we don't talk it out, we will act it out. And we can talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But what you're saying right there about, well, I could just rationalize it away. I could just reason it away. I could make up excuses for what is going on. And I could, I could become so detached or so neutralized to it that I've now convinced myself that I don't actually need to have this conversation. And when we do that, that's not good because if it's a continuous thing that's coming up and if it is something that we really do have a strong care about, um, that's not just going to go away. It's not going to write itself. We have to make a decision and make a choice to try and fix that situation or try and dialogue about that situation. So yeah, it's not to, it's not to make it numb or to like, quote unquote, zen it away, you know, yeah. it's not to, not to neutralize it to not existent, but it's to um, become calm enough to where we can have a level-headed conversation about it. Right. Cause we don't care. Yeah. Well, I just want to jump in and say, cause I feel like I, took it a little too far where I'm thinking I'm being merciful and Christian, you know, by Mm -hmm. just overlooking it. But as time has gone on, I'm like, you know, maybe that's not really the case. Mm -hmm. You know, you need and have that obligation to actually Mm -hmm. say something. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, making it safe again, too, where you think if I say something, that person is going to blow up. Right. You know, and so... How do you work on that kind of courage or how do you make it safe for them so they don't blow up? How do you, is there ways to frame it? Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's lots of things. Obviously we want to root everything in prayer. God needs to be, I always pray. I'm like, Holy Spirit, you are already present in this conversation. So it's like, please go before me and be present and anoint the room, anoint the person, anoint me, anoint the words. So obviously we want to cover everything in prayer. But yeah, it's sometimes we have to be patient um, and wait for the other person um, to be in a place where they're more able and willing to talk about things. But in that section on making it safe, sometimes it really does come down to this person isn't going to want to talk about this at any point in time. Like they're really not. They're not open to it, but I need to say something. And so there are ways that um, they talk about really trying to get down to what at its core is the situation at hand, what is the issue, and how can we reduce that to factual information that's more rooted in what objectively is taking place and not our interpretation of it. Right. So that kind of steps into a whole, we actually did a, a whole series of classes on this with some of the high school students at the, the Catholic school here. 
and just Excellent. talk to them about. It was great, and they loved it. It was, and so I love needed. to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I know. Oh, That's yeah. one of the reason and, I have you on today. <laughs> <laughs> but we talked to them about the the fact that when a when an action takes place, we tell ourselves a story about that action or about mm-hmm. that behavior because our brain is trying to interpret it and to find meaning in it. Um, Brene Brown, who I love, talks about, um, yes. she'll say this as the story I'm telling myself. Mm. Um, and so some, I think I told the kids, I was like, that's step one. We need to recognize that we are telling ourselves a story. And then with that, that can lead us to the truth that other people are telling themselves stories also. And sometimes those stories are not the same. Like we have a different viewpoint on things. And so I, I want to do just a little time out here to just sidebar a little bit that, um, through some of my studies with, I, I love Father Chad Repiger, but he mm-hmm. he will actually say that those dark spirits will actually go and influence those thoughts you have. So I, I say yeah. it's like that's internal dialogue is really what we're talking about. This kind of the story is yeah. that internal dialogue. And that especially when it comes between husband and wife, um, that evil spirit can kind of get in there and go like, can you believe he did that? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and really right. try and poke the bear. And yes. so it's really crucial that we understand when that's happening and try and mm-hmm. shut down the negative, um, the negative yes. internal dialogue, which is, I think that's just a little sidebar of mm-hmm. shutting down that dialogue. Yes, that is so true um, because there are different, that dialogue isn't being said in a vacuum. Like we hear different voices of, like you were saying, sometimes it's the good spirit, sometimes it's the evil spirits, sometimes it's the TV we watch, sometimes it's the songs we listen to, it's the people we talk to. So the dialogue that we have going on in our minds is very much influenced by what's going on around us and the different voices that are present, what we hear all day long, things like that. And I also would add, um, this is kind of another way to press into the the reality of of sin and and evil. Um, when we have wounds in our lives, those oh, yeah. wounds and those experiences also shape that dialogue. Um, so if someone treats us poorly or is disrespectful to us, then we can interpret other people's behaviors through that lens. Um, one of the kids brought that up, and I was like, "Yes, absolutely, that is so true." Because if somebody has been rude to me, then I'm going to tell myself that, you know, I deserve that. Like I, I'm not, I'm really not that good. Like they said that I wasn't very good, that I'm, I don't really bring anything to the team. They're right. And so then that's going to start. Yeah. And I, I agree to that. And then I start in new interactions with people that creeps in there. Oh, well, yeah, that person was being rude today, but it's just because it's me and like, I deserve it, you know? And that's another way, very, very subtle sometimes, but it's another way that that evil or that negativity creeps in and Mm -hmm. influences the dialogue. Um, But yeah, so that it's like step one is we have to realize that we're telling ourselves a story. And then from there, we need to say, okay, what, other ways could this be perceived? Because this is my interpretation of what just happened. And I like my own opinion, but there are other ones out there. And so what, you know, other people who were around when this took place, or even this person that I might be upset with, what might they be telling themselves Mm -hmm. about 
this interaction. So I actually modeled this for the kids. I um, got my little theatrical hat on. And I walked. <laughs> it was cute. They were like, what is she doing? I told them, I was like, I'm going to act something out for you. So I took a binder and walked to the back of the classroom and then kind of stomped up through the desk and slammed the binder down on one of the desks, the poor kid, slammed the binder down and then walked to the front of the classroom. And they all just kind of looked at me like, what is going on? And I said, why did I just do that? And then I let them all offer different reasons. Mm. Um, they were like, well, maybe you just don't like this class. Well, maybe you're mad at that guy. And so I turned to the kid whose desk I'd slammed the binder down on. And I said, why do you think I did that? Like, well, I think you're mad at me. I was like, mm. what? Yeah, because mm-hmm. you're right there. You're very close to it. And then they said, well, maybe you had a bad morning. Maybe you are frustrated about something that just happened in the hallway. Maybe you got in a fight with your sibling on the way to school. And I was like, guys, any of these could be the right answer. We don't know. Um, But for that person who was sitting in that desk, they immediately thought it was about them. Of course. And so what I did with them in that exercise was just kind of tease out, you know, that we can interpret That reminds me, Alyssa, of one of my favorite little sayings that I I talk to my children about and and other people when they're concerned or worried with something like similar where they don't really know what the answer is, but they're kind of starting to go down that rabbit hole, we'll say, is I heard one time, don't know if it's true, but it sure has played out well in my life, is that 80% of all those things you worry about never come to pass. In other words, Mm -hmm. 80% of the time... Those concerns are just all in your head, just kind of made up. And when you have that 80 percent hanging there, you know, why don't I wait till I know what the truth really is before I be concerned, worried or otherwise? So that's mm-hmm. that's one of the little tools I use. But I really like that because, yeah. you know, really teaching people and and myself definitely for a long time, because I've, I've always been, especially as a child and a young woman, I took things very personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very sensitive and all that. And so over time, I've had to really coach myself that, you know, you are not the center of the universe, Pam Marvin. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that is just yeah. all in your head. And I'm like, you know what, even if I'm wrong about it not being about me, what have I gained? I've gained a piece of heart. Mm-hmm. And I think too, this it makes me think of what you were saying earlier where it's 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 hard because it's a balance, right? Where it's like, okay, this person did this thing and it's probably not about me. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, chances are it's really not. It's about something that's going on in them and I just happened to be there. It's you so know? True. It happened to be my desk. I happened to be standing in the hallway. I happened to be the person that they run into most most frequently. So I was just kind of like caught in the, in the crosshairs, you know, like exactly. I happen to be here. But if it's something that has happened consistently and it's something that really is hurtful, like you were saying earlier, we don't just want to excuse it away all the time. So it is, it's this, ha- it, it's the virtues in the balance, right? Where it's like, okay, I need to recognize that this person is probably not about me, but they've been doing this a lot and it's actually kind of hurtful. And so I think we need to have a conversation about it. So it really does have to be discerned. Yes. But we were, you were talking about tools and things like that. How do we make it a safe space? Um, One of the ways to do that is that when we go into these conversations, what we want to do is communicate, like I was saying, as close to the facts as possible and not to place our interpretation on 
the meaning or on the conversation. Mm -hmm. So for the binder example, um, what would not be a good thing to say if I was going to talk, if somebody was going to talk to me about me slamming my binder down? Um, First off, they shouldn't use the word slamming. So that's actually, there you go. So what wouldn't be good is if you came up to me, Pam, and you were like, Alyssa, just now when you slammed your binder down on my desk, that makes me feel like you're really upset with me. Um, And so Again, it's like you saying that I slammed it down where I might have actually done that, but that's your interpretation of it. Um, And also saying like, well, it it seems like you're really upset with me. Again, that's what you've perceived from it. And it might be true, but to make it a safer dialogue, something like, hey, so when you put your binder down on the desk just now, it it seemed like there might be something going on there. Can we talk about that? Are you okay? Um, yeah. That's much more neutral because I haven't imposed yeah. any okay? kind of charged emotions on it. Mm-hmm. Even though, and that that's so hard to do, especially if it's like, wow, you're being a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all I want to do is say you're being a jerk. It's like, hey, are you okay today? Yeah. Like well, Alyssa, I think uh, Thaddeus is here with me and he, he was uh, wanting to jump in a little bit and ask you a yeah. couple of questions. Hey, Alyssa. How are you? Hi. Good. For, how are you? I'm great. Great to hear your voice. Um, I was thinking about this uh, this idea of some some incident uh, being, you know, not really about me, but really it's about what's going on inside of that person, and that's what's causing the the, the blow up or the mm-hmm. uh, strong words. And I think that you know, my experience just tells me that that might happen kind of a lot inside of, oh, I don't know, families maybe? Yep. Where uh, the parent blows up. And I'm just, you know, I've heard that this can happen in families. Like the parent blows up at the child and it has nothing to do with the child. It's something that, you know, happened at work or stress is about money or it's something that's going on between the spouses. Um, And I think that that is... Uh, it's just important to have maybe crucial conversations with your children uh, mm-hmm. and to be aware that when you do that to, at a at a later date, maybe later that night or something, you know, to take your child aside and have, have a, a crucial conversation of sorts that explains, yeah. you know, I know I, uh, I exploded at you when you uh, asked me that question and I was in the middle of, right. you know, we all know the examples and just explaining right. that I want to assure you it's not about you. You hadn't done anything yep. wrong. And remember, even when you do do things wrong, I still love you. And just, you know, yes. repair that relationship and, yeah. you know, reinforce the, uh, the love and trust and stability right. of the home, of the family, of the relationship between father and son, mother and son, mm-hmm. father and daughter, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think, Kazayas, that's so beautiful because what it what it speaks to is the fact that they're going to interpret that behavior to try and find meaning. Meaning, so if they are yelled at, they are automatically going to assume that they it's them, you know. And so, unless mom or dad comes in and corrects that and roots it in what's true, they're left to kind of draw their own conclusions, and a lot of times it's probably not the full picture. Mm-hmm. And how often, I know I, Pam's done 
work with this too. How often do we know that we look at wounds in our lives and it's like, okay, let's look at childhood. I was actually in a conversation with somebody yesterday. It's like, tell me about what this was like growing up at home because we interpret things as children through our, our little lens and then we carry that as kind of like wallpaper for our life and then as we get older, it's like, wait a minute, hold on. They weren't really upset with me that whole time. They were just stressed about this, but I thought it was me. And so mm-hmm. that's so true, Thaddeus. Yeah. You know, I have another question. I have I have one uh, person that I work with, uh, not work with necessarily, but is a is a shutdown person. Like mm-hmm. they don't want to have a crucial conversation because they're they're really trying to to control their temper, and I I appreciate that. You know, so she's prone to just be quiet and walk away and like, I'm not having this conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how, I mean, I'm like, and I get stuck. I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. We need to have this conversation yeah. and she doesn't want to have this conversation. And I don't know mm-hmm. any, any suggestions for something like that? Yeah, a couple. And those are, those are hard. There's not a silver bullet for this. Um, <laughs> and, and the books obviously talk more about this, but I think Again, doing doing our own work beforehand, trying to get the perspective and praying and then going into it and, and doing what we can to make it a safe space and to n- control and um, not control, that's too harsh of a word, but to, to be um, level-headed in our own dialogue and in our own words um, and doing what we can to invite the other person um, and to kind of draw them out like, okay, it seems like this is really upsetting you. And I really just, I, I want to get to a place where we can, we can navigate this together and where it doesn't become something that trips up the work that we do or trips up our working relationship here. And so I really would love the opportunity to talk to you about this more because it seems like it's affecting you. I know it's affecting me. Um, so there are ways that we can gently encourage and invite, um, but sometimes no matter what we do, even if we continue to um, invite to dialogue, sometimes people will not do it. I've been in a situation where that's happened, where I've had the crucial conversation, we've talked about the issues, we've come to an understanding, and then two weeks goes by and it goes right back. Mm. And then the door has been closed. It's like, well, we already talked about that. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And that's actually kind of painful on our end when we're looking at it and it's like, cool, this person is acting out their frustrations all over the place. And Mm -hmm. I tried to talk to them about it and want to talk to them about it, but they've closed that door. And so I really do think in that place, it's from, from my experience, it's continuing to invite, but then also to turn to the Lord and to offer it to him and to pray for conversion of heart, um, to pray for, okay, Lord, like, you don't let things happen on accident. So this situation is taking place. What might be going on in this other person? How can I intercede for them? How can I be a place of love for them? How can I show mercy to them? And how can I, when these difficult situations happen, and when this person treats me in a way that I really find to be painful, how can I bring that to you and invite you to speak into that so that I'm rooted in your truth and how you look on me with love? How can I have my identity rooted in you and not in the way that I'm being treated? Because I'm doing everything that I can to have a conversation around this, but I I can't make this other person do it. Now, sometimes, and that would be the only other caveat, sometimes um, if it's a work situation, there are ways where you can go to your supervisor or your boss and say, hey, like, 
I've tried to have a conversation with this person and they've shut me down. And I'm seeing that it's affecting things. I don't know if you've noticed this, but is there any way that you could help us have a conversation? Or maybe I can share this with you in confidence and you can talk to them about it. I've I've done that at a place before where I've had to mediate some of these conversations. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that mediator is the person that the, the thing that makes it a safe space um, because they're kind of the neutral ground for both people uh, for both parties. So sometimes that's possible, but sometimes we're in situations where there's, there's not a hierarchy there. There's not a mediator there. Um, sometimes, I mean, Jesus tells us about, you can go to your priest, you can go to a trusted um, person in the church to try and mediate. But if the door is closed, it, it is a lot of, I think, prayer is a lot of how right. do I continue to love this person? And Lord, how do I turn to you and ask you what to do um, in this situation? Yeah. Well, you know, with this last, like, almost, almost 10, just under 10 minutes left in our conversation, Alyssa, I want to, like, really customize it for family life and holidays and, like, beginner 101 kind of crucial conversations, which you've said very eloquently, um, make sure that you take it to the Lord be prayerful mm-hmm. about it, calm down, make sure you're taking those kind of emotions out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I love what you said that about um, if you don't talk it out, you're going to act it out. But going into this time where we're, we have been around each other a lot um, already mm-hmm. this year and going into yeah. it even more so in a perspective, just kind of that, you know, Crucial Conversations 101 with in family life, let's say immediate family and then extended family around the holidays, um, is there any more that you could add to that as far as number one, um, don't react? You know, I, you see where I'm going mm-hmm. with that. Like, just give yeah. us kind of a few bullet points because um, mm-hmm. we really would like our listeners to really walk away with some uh, actionable things to be able to do over the holidays. Mm-hmm. The The first thing that comes to mind is, and maybe it's because I'm an introvert, but the first thing that comes to mind is to give yourself some space. I know for me, sometimes the holidays can become wearing just because you're around people all the time. And some people love that. Um, Like Pam, I feel like you're probably one of those people that's just like, yes, everybody's home. And I love everybody (laughs) being home. Um, But sometimes it's like, you know what? I think I just I just need a break. I need to go for a walk. Yes. I need to have some me time. And I know that for me, sometimes I feel selfish asking for that. But it's like, no, I actually, I need this to be able to get my bearings and then to be able to better love you. Yes, right. So I think just being patient with ourselves, giving us, giving ourselves some space, but also when that's directed outwardly, being patient with others, recognizing, you know what, like it's been a long year and we've had a long week and there's a lot of us here and maybe we've even had some moments of tension. So we just need to be patient with one another and be a little more generous than normal and practice a little bit of of that patience and of that understanding. Right. And I'll just add to that list, like, you know, mercy, you know, what does mercy look like? Mercy sometimes is like just forgetting the irritating quip or whatever, not holding on to things, you know, being just very Mm -hmm. detached and, and um, also not taking things personally. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that's a really Mm -hmm. important thing because Mm -hmm. there's so many variables like you've already been talking about, uh, so if someone says something that can be interpreted, just don't let that mm-hmm. self-dialogue go and just let it let it go. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I know people might be like, yeah, but it, like, you don't know my family. Like this, something like this happened to me over Thanksgiving where I was with my family and we had a wonderful week, but there was one moment where somebody said something to me and it just like poked at something, honestly from childhood where mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, I feel like I'm a little girl again and I'm being scolded and I hate mm, that feeling. Yeah. And it just, I was so upset and I took it very personally. And I was like, you know what? I was actually, I was going to go to daily mass. And so I left. I felt so bad, but I just left. I didn't say bye to anybody. I was just like, I'm out of here. Like I need some space. And so I went to daily mass and then I prayed afterwards. And in that time I was able to do what you were kind of saying, Pam, of just like being merciful towards this person and taking a step back and saying, okay, here was my perspective on this situation. Mm-hmm. What else was going on here? This person really late with the kids and really early with the kids and was in a frustrating conversation with somebody else. And I chimed in and tried to help. And then they snapped at me Mm. like, you know what? It didn't really have anything to do with me. And Mm -hmm. I need to recognize that there was more going on than just me getting my feelings hurt in that moment. And I didn't end up talking to this person about it, but I needed to think through that. Um, and I needed to have the, the zoomed out view of what had just taken place. Um, so yeah, I think that's really important. The other thing that I'm thinking of is really just trying to be intentional about how we communicate with one another. And so that's being charitable in our speech, trying not to um, lash out in frustration or lash out in anger. And I know that that's easier for some people than others, just mm, personality-wise. Mm-hmm, sure. um, but if if you know that's you, you're like, yeah, I'm the person that's going to, like, I got a short fuse, you know, um, to just be aware of that and to be patient with yourself and to make it a point as you go into time with family, like, you know what? I'm going to pay very close attention. And when I feel like I just need to say that thing or I need to snap back real quickly, I'm just going to pause. I'm going to say, come Holy Spirit. And then from there, I'll make my decision. And I'm going to try and if I do choose to say something, make it less charged than normal as a way of being kind and merciful and loving to my family. Or, you know, maybe I'm going to remove myself from the situation to get perspective. Um, But yeah, trying to make sure that when we choose to speak, that we're doing so lovingly. Um, And that we're also, I think, um, in being intentional about communication also implies that we're listening. Right, right. we're, We're practicing reflective listening. So it's if something happens and it's hurtful to us, that we're able to say, hmm, when you said that, it makes me feel like this. Or when you said that, what I understand you saying is, this. Is that right. right? Like really searching for that meaning and for that understanding. You know, another thing that's coming to mind is you're, you're talking about those is also it's like me as the mom, we're, we're going to be traveling to uh, my married daughter's home and I've got the two children that live at home plus, you know, my husband and I'm telling you, I was thinking as, as we're talking, I'm like, man, I need to be managing the expectations. Like, what are we going to be doing when? Yes. What can you expect? Because sometimes if we don't manage, if we don't communicate well enough and don't manage what they're expecting, then that can mm-hmm. open up for a lot of um, turmoil and yes. disease and stuff. Right. And just disappointment. That's such a good, that's such a good point, Pam, because I, over Thanksgiving, found myself 
doing, asking myself that on the way to my family's house. Okay, what is it that I'm expecting out of this mm-hmm. week? Mm-hmm. I need to recognize that we need to communicate to be on the same page so that I know what other people are expecting out of this week. Because I know I'm going to be disappointed if I thought we were going to do X, Y, and Z, and then that doesn't end up happening. Um, no, that's a great one. Love it. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, just to start winding it down to the key things is like, um, I, I do this all the time, especially I think women, the girls are a little more, you know, they do this a little more is having that dialogue, that extra dialogue that's not necessary. What were you saying? How did you phrase it with the Brene Brown? Oh, the story I'm telling myself. Yeah, the story I'm telling myself. And I I say internal dialogue. So really monitor your internal dialogue and ask Mm -hmm. God and your guardian angels to really just be a part of that and to speak truth to you during those times and during the holidays. For sure. That's I think that's a really big one. Monitoring that internal dialogue, Um, showing mercy, listening. Well, I love when you said that Um, Mm -hmm. and being being courageous and when you need to say things in prudence, oh, prudence is so, so very important as well. Yes. And I think as you were, as you were saying, being courageous, one of the other things I think we, I automatically think courageous means like saying the hard thing. And that's true, but it can also be sharing the vulnerable thing, um, again, with prudence, sharing our hearts and and apologizing. Like, you know what, that's that's so powerful. Like Thaddeus was saying earlier to pull people aside and say, I'm really sorry for the way that that was handled. Here's, here's what was going on in me when I did this. I need to know I'm sorry for that. You can hear the music. I can't believe our time has come to an end. Hey, definitely want to see you when you come in town. Let's go have some coffee and catch up on other deeper stuff. Thank you so much for joining me today with Red Sea Roundup and Alyssa Trutter. Until then, go and love your neighbor. Rumors and talk.